from the Sermon on the Mount. There are two messages left from that sermon, including the one today. I think it might be good for me to summarize the sermon to bring you to the point as to where we are today. Now, Jesus began in the sermon by giving his expectations concerning a Christian. He said, if you want to be a Christian, then this is what I expect. And he began with the Beatitudes, which speaks or describes the Christian's character. If you want to know what a Christian looks like, then it is there in the Beatitude. He said, as you live out the Beatitudes, then you become people of influence. You are salt in a world that is corrupt, and you are light in a world of darkness. Jesus goes from there to speak about our relationship to the law. If I am saved by the grace of God, then as a believer, how am I to respond to the law? And then he speaks about the giving of alms and prayer and fasting and so forth. And then he says, in my relationship to other people, I'm to live by the golden rule. In other words, I am to treat you as I want you to treat me. So after Jesus gave the expectations, he says, now it is time for a decision. He extends an invitation. He says, there are two paths that are before you. There is a broad path that leads to destruction, and most people are on that path. There is a narrow path that leads to life, and few there be that find it. After Jesus extended his invitation, he gave a warning. He said, now at the gates, there are false prophets. The false prophets are trying to entice you on to the broad way. They try to entice you by tickling your ears with things you want to hear. And if they cannot entice you, then they threaten you. So Jesus says, now this is my expectation. There are two paths available to you. There are false prophets who will try to get you onto the wrong road. And so today he says, thus you need to examine which path are you on. Are you on the broad way that leads to destruction? Or are you on the narrow path that leads to life? So he is ta- telling us today we need to examine ourselves. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, These surely are in many ways the most solemn words ever uttered in this world, not only by any man, but even by the Son of God himself. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I believe today is an important day because it is a time in this passage of Scripture, within this sermon of Jesus, that we examine ourselves, and the question is simply this. 
Are you saved? Have you been born again? If you die, would you go to heaven? That is the question that is paramount in this passage of Scripture. And Jesus says that it is possible for us to profess faith in him without possessing him. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who professes to be a Christian is a Christian. Jim Fix wrote the book some years ago, the complete book on running. For 15 years, he averaged running 80 miles every week. At the age of 52, he died of a massive heart attack. Now, how did that happen? Here's a man who is running 80 miles a week and he dies of a massive heart attack. How did it happen? He had heart disease, but he didn't know it because he refused to get regular checkups. Well, in this passage of Scripture, what we have is a spiritual checkup. And Jesus is saying to us, there are many within the church who profess Christ who do not possess Christ. The Scripture says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Folks, there are people in the churches who simply do not know the Lord. good example, I suppose, would be the story of Judas, with which you are familiar. Judas was a disciple He heard Jesus preach, he saw the miracles, he witnessed the crowds, all those things. He was the treasure of the disciples. He was the one who was given charge of the money bag, so he was the one who kept the money for the disciples. He was the treasurer, and yet the Bible says he betrayed the Lord. The scripture says in Matthew 26, then one of the twelve named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? You see, what I want you to understand is that there are some who are simply Christian in name only. They only bear the name of Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 3.18, For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is saying there are people who profess to be Christians, but in reality, he says, they are Christians only in name, and in fact, they are enemies of the cross. Though I would like to believe otherwise, I would imagine that there are members of this church who truly do not know the Lord. Matthew Henry wrote an outward profession of religion, however remarkable, will not bring us to heaven. In my ministry, I have seen on numerous occasions men who were serving the church as deacons come to the place to say, I don't know the Lord. I'm a member of the church. I'm a deacon in the church, but I don't know the Lord. And then become a follower of Christ. 
I had a minister of music in another church who came to the realization that he didn't know the Lord, though he led the worship every Sunday, though he led the music. He said, I I know the music, but I don't know the master. And he came to know Jesus as his Savior. See, that is what Jesus is saying to us here. Ladies and gentlemen, you can profess Christ without possessing Christ. And then he goes on from there to say that you can perform the works of God when perhaps you do not know God. In verse number 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Now, their doctrine was correct. They referred to Jesus as Lord and they believed the right things. They were fervent in spirit. It was not just Lord. We've done all these things. It was Lord, Lord, we've done these things. You know, sometimes we get to thinking if someone is very enthusiastic, that person is really a committed Christian. If someone is is really enthused about what they profess to believe, and that's wonderful. But that does not mean that a person is a believer. These were fervent in spirit, and they did impressive religious works. I don't know about you, but when I read this verse of Scripture, it always causes a pause for me. Because these people were involved in religious work that were impressive. They said, did we not prophesy in your name? Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, it is possible for a man to preach correct doctrine and in the name of Christ and yet himself remain outside the kingdom of God. That is the statement, nothing less. Balaam delivered the message that was correct. But he was a hireling prophet. So Jesus said there are going to be these who will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not teach Sunday school? Did we not preach? Did we not do these things? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Jones continues, our Lord may give power to a man, and yet the man himself may be lost. Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. What I want you to understand is that Jesus is saying that it is possible to profess Christ without possessing Christ. It is possible to perform the works of the church without knowing the Lord of the church. And as I understand scripture, what we know to be true is that when the profession in Christ is real then it is accompanied by the practice of that profession. In other words, if someone is truly born again, then it is going to be reflected by the fruits of their life. James said in chapter 2, verse 17, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Now, he's not saying that we are not saved by faith, but he says that you you can profess faith in Christ, but if it is not accompanied by godliness, 
by the fruit of the Spirit, then he says that is dead. A.W. Pink wrote, Not only is it a bare profession insufficient for the saving of the soul, but it is an insult to Christ himself. I believe, according to Scripture, when someone professes faith in Christ and it is genuine, then it is always accompanied by the practice of godliness. James said, show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. So we begin with the question of salvation. Are you saved? And the point that Jesus is making is that you can profess Christ without possessing Christ. You can perform the works of God without knowing God. And genuine profession is accompanied by practical godliness. Now, this is important because of the danger of deception in verse number 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, the danger that we face is that we have been deceived and not be aware of the deception. Now, what causes some people to be deceived? Well, some have assurance in a false statement or a faulty statement. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13 says, For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, you've heard that verse. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There are people who have professed faith in Christ and they have been saved. They know the Lord. Their profession is legitimate. It is genuine. There are others who have professed faith in Christ and they are not saved. Because it was not a profession of faith in Christ, it was a profession of faith in some magical words. If I say these words, then somehow that means that I am a Christian. Their faith is in magical words, not in Jesus. So as a result of that, they did not come to know the Lord. Jones said he is relying on his own belief and on his mere assertion of it. There are some people who believe they are saved because they said some words that somebody told them to say, or they filled out a card when they came forward, or they shook the preacher's hand, or they did something else. But because they did those things, they think they are saved when, in fact, many are not. There are some who believe that they are saved because they have had some kind of a religious experience. In John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24... The Bible says, now, when he, speaking of Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. Do you see that? There were many who believed when they saw the miracles. Where was their faith? In the miracles. It wasn't in Jesus. It was in the religious experience. Many believed when they saw the miracles. But the Bible says that Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. Folks, it's important, therefore, that we examine ourselves. And that's what this is today. It it is an examination that the Lord gives. And it's important that you're honest about it. Is my faith legitimate? Is it real? Is my faith in Christ It's important that we examine ourselves. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 
Or do you not recognize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? This is a test we're having today. I used to hate it when I would go to school and the teacher say, well, we're going to have a pop test today. Because I, I, I was never prepared. And possibly today you're, you're, well, I just as soon not go through this, but this is where we are in the sermon. So Jesus is giving us a test. He says you need to examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in reality in the faith. So maybe I can ask some questions here that come from the Sermon on the Mount. What about trials? When you face trials, do you worry or do you trust in God? Because Jesus said that we are not to be anxious. Now, I'm not saying that you are to just go through life not knowing what's going on. I'm not saying that you're not to be concerned with the things that are going on. But is your faith in Jesus? You know, every once in a while, uh, you know, you're probably like Linda and I are. And we get uh, fussing about the way things are. And she will start talking about, well, this is happening and this is happening. And, this. and I'll say, well... We're just going to have to trust the Lord. And she'll say, has it come to that? <laughs> or maybe it was reversed. I'm not sure. But. <laughs> but we are to examine ourselves. And so what, when we have trials, how do we respond to them? Do you trust in the Lord with what you're going through today? That's what the sermon is, says. That we are to trust in Him with whatever we have. What about the giving of alms? Are you concerned about those people who have needs? What about those who are lost without Jesus Christ? Do you care? Do you care that there are people who are going to hell? Do you care about that? James Kennedy wrote, One who is content to go to heaven alone probably is not going at all. So he, he says that if you are content... That you go to heaven by yourself, he says, that is not the spirit of Christ. There are some people who have been deceived because of rationalization. They think, well, you know, I grew up in a Christian family, so I must be a Christian. Or I grew up in America, so I must be a Christian. Or I grew up in a Baptist church, and I've done all those things that you're supposed to do in a Baptist church, so I must be a Christian, so they've rationalized that. Well, let me give you some signs of deception, and so you can just check. And these are just a few. I'm sure you have some others, but... If you're more concerned about pleasing man than pleasing God, it might be that you're deceived. If you're more concerned with pleasing man than in pleasing God, it could be that you have been deceived. If you're more concerned with the law than love, you might be deceived. That was the Pharisees when they caught the woman in the act of adultery and they brought her to Jesus and they stood there ready to stone her. Now, they were committed to the law, but they didn't care anything about the woman. They just wanted to fulfill the law. They, their commitment was to the law, not to love. If you're more concerned with looking like a Christian than in being a Christian, you might be deceived. And again, that was the Pharisees. They were very concerned about how they looked. When it came to giving in chapter 6, verse number 2, look there. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
concerning prayer in chapter 6, verse number 5. When you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Concerning fasting, chapter 6, verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. You see? The Pharisees were concerned with looking spiritual. And so in their giving of alms, in their prayer, in their fasting, it was all designed to look spiritual, not to be spiritual. So the point is, if you're more interested in looking like a Christian than in being a Christian, you might be deceived. That's the reason sometimes we misjudge people. We say, oh, that person is really a Christian. Why? They look like a Christian to me. No, they just had the flu. That doesn't mean that they're a Christian. All right, because of the danger of being deceived, we have to examine ourselves. And here's the thing. If the Holy Spirit lives in your life, then you have an internal witness. If you've been saved, truly saved, then you have the Holy Spirit indwelling. That is an internal witness who says that you're saved. So the Bible says in Romans 2.15, they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. So if a person is saved, they have the Holy Spirit who bears witness. Now, what are the characteristics of a person who is not saved? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. All right, he's giving to us the deeds of the flesh, the person who's not saved. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So he says, now these are the fruits of the flesh. And he mentions immorality. The word that is used there speaks of sexual immorality. Impurity, that speaks of an impure heart. Sensuality, that means sin without shame. Now that seems to me to be a picture of our society today. Sin without shame. In fact, you can get a reality show if your sin is obnoxious enough. Enmities, an attitude that defies and challenges others. It is a volatile person. Folks, let me tell you something. Someone who is always mad and always fighting does not have the spirit of Christ. So what he says. What are the characteristics of a believer? In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control against such things, there is no law. He mentions love. The other characteristics that are mentioned are an outgrowth of love. If you have love, genuine love, then these other characteristics are an outgrowth of that. Then he says joy. 
Joy is an inward peace that is not affected by outward circumstances. Have you seen a believer, someone who really knows the Lord, and they're going through a tough time? Maybe it's because of physical reasons or maybe because of family reasons or something else, and yet they just have joy. You can't explain that, can you? Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. It is amazing to me when I'm, when I'm around God's people. I mean, they are, they're people who really know the Lord and they're going through such a tough time and yet they have the joy of the Lord. Peace. Peace is love and joy working together. When love and joy come together in your life, it produces peace. Patience does not quit even when wronged and endures without anger. So he says there is an internal witness, the Holy Spirit. If one is saved, there is an internal witness. But then there is an external witness as well, and that is obedience. My friend, if the Holy Spirit is on the inside, then obedience is demonstrated by your life. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. But I am saying that if the Holy Spirit is at work on the inside then obedience is seen on the outside. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Samuel said, God will have obedience rather than sacrifice. So, this is what I want you to see today. As we conclude, Jesus instructs us to ask the question, am I saved? And that's what I would ask you. Do you know the Lord? I'm not asking you if you've been baptized I'm not asking you if you have a, if you're a Baptist. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Because Jesus says that we can profess faith without possessing him. He says that we can perform the works of the church without knowing the God of the church. So are you saved? Make sure that you have not been deceived. And because of the possibility of deception, we need to examine ourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Okay? Now let's say that today you have been convicted of the Holy Spirit during this time as we look at the Scripture, and you've come to the conclusion, I don't think I'm saved then how is a person saved? How does a person become a child of God? First of all, as I understand it, there is repentance. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. The word repent means a change of mind that produces a change of direction. It means that I'm going in one way and I'm going to turn and go in another direction. That I was following after Satan, now I'm following after God. I was on the way to hell, now I'm on the way to heaven. So it means a change of mind that produces a change of direction. It is coming to the place to say, I don't want to go that way any longer. That is repentance and I'm going to go in a new direction. And then I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I trust him to save me, believing he is who he said he is, and that when he died on the cross, he died to save me. It gets a little hard for us here. What does it mean to really trust him? And I can, I can illustrate it this way. When Eric was a little boy, sometimes I used to put him up high on the cabinet or the refrigerator or something. I'd stick him up there, and he was a little little baby. And I'd stand down there, you know, like a foolish dad often does and say, 
jump to me and I'll catch you. And Eric would look down at me and he'd say, "Uh uh-uh. Don't you think I'll catch you? Uh Uh-huh. Jump to me and I'll catch you. And after a while, he'd just sort of fall off and I'd catch him. Now, while he was up there, he said that he trusted me. But when did he really trust me? When he jumped. That's what faith is, folks. It's coming to the place to say, Jesus, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You said you would save me if I would trust you. And you put yourself in his hands. And if he misses, he doesn't catch you, you're lost. But he's the only hope I have. He promised that he would save me if I trusted him. I trust him. I committed my life to him and I do this day. And if he doesn't take me to heaven, the lady I mentioned last week was right. I ain't going. He is the only hope I have of going to heaven. That's what it means to trust the Lord. Jesus, you are my soul, total trust. I trust you. You done that? Or is there something in your heart that says you need to? Bow your heads with me, please. I'm going to ask that you examine yourself right now and ask the Lord, Lord, am I saved? Do I know Jesus? And if there is a still small voice in your heart that says today you need to be saved, I pray you will. Our Father in God, I pray today that your spirit will speak to our hearts. And Lord, for those who are not saved, that they would be, that they would trust Jesus. I pray in his precious name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir is going to sing. The staff is going to stand here. If today you want to commit your life to Christ and trust him, you come and just tell one of the staff members. They'll pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.